Welcome to the final episode of the Igloo in 2022 with your boy Timmy Ice. Got a lot to cover, including pretty good slate of games all around from men's and women's between Tuesday and yesterday, and preview of what looks like a pretty good, interesting slate of games for the final day of 2022 and ringing in the new year, New Year's Day 2023. So let's just get right into it. Uh, let's start on the men's side. Tuesday night, Seton Hall Marquette. And Seton Hall, they got off to a bad start. Marquette, you know, they looked really good early on. They led 16-5 to seven minutes in. And then Seton Hall rattled off an 11-0 run to tie the game. And what happens after that? Marquette goes on a tear. In the form of a 18-4 run that puts them ahead by 14. And what does Seton Hall do? How about a 9-0 run? It was back and forth, but despite two different stretches where they had scored 20 unanswered points, Seton Hall was still down 7 at the half. And because of the ineptitude to continue to push after going on these big runs and allowing Marquette to answer with big runs of their own, Seton Hall buries themselves too deep, and Marquette wins it 83-69. Marquette, their biggest lead was 19 in this one. Seton Hall, their biggest lead was only by a point, and it was very early. It was 5-4, to four, about two and a half minutes in. But Marquette, now 2-1 and one in the league, and they shot very well in this one, 54% on the night. 36% from behind the arc. 16 and 10 for Oso Iguodaro. Four assists as well. Eight for nine from the field. 15 for Omax Prosper. Six for eight from the floor. One of two from deep. Cam Jones with 14. Six of 10 from the floor and two of six from behind the arc. Stevie Mitchell, just six points in 28 minutes. Five rebounds and four assists. Tyler Kolek, again, He doesn't need to score to impact the game. He had four points only, but eight assists and three steals. And the bench played a big role for Marquette in this game. They scored 28 points compared to Seton Hall's 17. Nine each from Sean Jones and Chase Ross. Jones was three for four. From behind the arc to get those nine points, three of seven overall. Ross, three for five from the floor and one of two from deep. Eight points in 17 minutes from David Joplin, three of 11 from the floor and two of seven from behind the arc. Ben Gold with a couple free throws in 12 minutes. And, you know, if you're seeing Hall, when you turn it over 15 times and you only get seven from the other team, more often than not, you're going to lose. And, a lot of just puzzling decisions. I'm one to say, yeah, Dre Davis deserves starter minutes or deserves to be in the starting lineup. He he did start in this game and was really good 
But what blew my mind was not starting Casey and Defo, who is a guy that you need out there early on as a starter to set the tone defensively because he's clearly your best defensive player inside and out. He is that interior presence that you need, especially when you go up against guys like Igadaro and Prosper. And that's not even the best one-two post-combo in the conference. So, needless to say, very baffled by that decision by Shaw. Anyways, Dre Davis had 15 on 6 of 7 shooting and 1 of 2 from behind the arc. 11 each for Tyree Samuel and Femi Odukale. Another thing that bothered me, Tyree's only played 19 minutes and he had those 11 points. And the thing is, it's not like he got into foul trouble playing that little time. He didn't pick up a single personal. So it really confuses me. Unless his defensive productivity was that bad, I just don't think Tyree should be playing that little. I, that's just how I feel. Uh, Femi Odukale also had 11 points, 3 of 6 from the floor, and 2 for 3 from behind the arc. You know, Really first signs of life I've seen from him offensively in quite some time. Kadari Richmond had 9 points and 5 assists, 4 for 12 from the floor, though, and 1 of 4 from behind the arc. 6 points, all from behind the arc from Al Dawes. The bench, again, 17 points, but Marquette's bench made that much more of a difference. Trey Jackson with 8 points in 16 minutes, 3 of 5 from the floor, 1 of 2 from behind the arc. Casey Indefo, 7 points, 9 rebounds, 2 for 4 in 22 minutes. 4 block shots as well, and then Jaquan Sanders... Had two points in 18 minutes. And I think another thing is doing the 10 deep rotation where no one plays more than 30 minutes. Like at some point you got to realize that what you're doing isn't working. And considering this team is 0-3 now in the conference and now 500 overall at 7-7. Seven and seven, Their first 0-3 conference start in well over a decade. Well, he, I give him credit for trying to start Dre Davis instead, but obviously that came back to bite him because you needed Indefo out there to set the tone defensively. I, and But in terms of the rotation specifically, it hasn't worked before, and I don't, it sure as hell isn't going to work the rest of the season. There's got to be an adjustment made because if you fall to 0-4 in the conference, then uh-oh. Meanwhile, number two, UConn remained unbeaten. They're now 14-0, albeit it was their first single-digit victory of the season as they beat Villanova at the XL Center. And credit Villanova, they never went away when UConn went on their runs. And UConn led after... They only led by one at the break. Nova scored the first four points of the second half. But UConn responded well. And after retaking the lead on a three by Jordan Hawkins, who had a really good night, they never looked back. Although Villanova, give them credit, they clawed their way back on multiple occasions. But UConn remains unbeaten, 74-66. Hawkins with 22 points, 6 of 14 from the floor, 4 for 11. From behind the arc, 15 from Alex Caravan, 5 for 9 from the floor, and 3 of 7 
from behind the arc. Andre Jackson, 10 points on 3 of 11 shooting, 2 for 6 from behind the arc, 6 boards. And he only had two assists, so like this was far from his best game, and yet UConn still won by eight. And same with Adama Sanogo. He only had seven in this game and picked up four fouls, 25 minutes, three for six from the floor. Tristan Newton, six points, all from the free throw line, four assists in 21 minutes. The bench, below average performance from the bench, just 14 total bench points. Six each from Donovan Klingon and Hassan Diara, and two points from Naheem Aline. I mean, neither I mean, Villanova shot it better, forty-three percent compared to just under forty percent for UConn. But nine three-pointers for the Huskies, just five for Villanova, makes a difference. And Nova UConn also got to the free throw line more, twenty-seven free throws compared to Villanova's eighteen. And UConn also forced eighteen turnovers, committing. Only 11 themselves. So, Caleb Daniels, 23 points to lead the way for the Wildcats. 9 of 15 from the floor. 2 of 6 from behind the arc. Eight, 18 points and 8 rebounds for Eric Dixon. Although, 6 of 14, 1 of 5 from long range. 10 points from Brandon Slater, but again, he had rough shooting numbers. 1 of 7 from behind the arc, just 3 of 10 overall. I mean, the bench, they got 28 minutes, 7 points, although, again, Jordan Longino did foul out with those 7 points. 6 points from Cam Whitmore in just 22 minutes. And then Chris Argidiakon only had a couple of free throws in 34 minutes, and then Mark Armstrong did not score in 10 minutes. So, the Huskies... Yeah, they remain unbeaten at a perfect 14-0, and they're going to face on New Year's Eve in a big game, arguably between the two top teams in the conference as we stand. The team that emerged victorious in this next game I'm going to talk about. And this game was the FS1 all-access game, a tradition that I've grown to love, and I'm trying to think how many years they've done this now. I think it was this was the fifth annual and you had number 22 Xavier at St. John's at Carneseca. Sean Miller, Mike Anderson, and observers of this game, like me, they noted Sean Miller is a lot more active. And you got to see and hear why Sean Miller is just light years ahead of Mike Anderson as a head coach. Even with all this talent St. John's has, talent doesn't win you games alone. Good coaching does. And quite frankly, good coaching plays as much of or even a bigger role than talent alone. And Xavier, you know, they were they were just pouring it on early. I mean, a 16-0 run in the first half got them up to a 15-point advantage. And their biggest lead was actually, it was 18 at one point. I'm trying to find out when that point was. It was in the second half, but Xavier, you know, they were in command for most of the first half. St. John's cuts it down to 11. I mean, they actually cut it down to nine technically, but uh, Xavier got 
a jumper with 30 seconds left from Sule Boom to take a double-digit lead going to the break. And the thing is with St. John's, they dug themselves too deep of a hole, and they tried as best they could to make a late run at it, and they gave Xavier a scare. But in the end, Xavier holds on for an 84-79 win, and kind of like the Seton Hall home game for Xavier. Zach Fremantle with a big dagger three in the final minutes, and the guy who had a big game was Jack Nungy. I mean, he started off on fire and finished with 23 points, 12 rebounds, 10 of 14 from the floor, 2 of 2 from behind the arc, including a bank shot 3 that, a la Michael Jordan, he just had to shrug at. Sule Boom with 17 points, 6 boards and 6 assists, 4 for 11 from the floor, just 1 of 5 from behind the arc. Zach Fremantle with 14 to go with 9 rebounds. He only played 25 minutes, 6 of 13 from the floor and 1 of 2 from behind the arc. That one three-pointer he made, a, a big one. Off the bench, Jerome Hunter with 8 points and 10 rebounds in 15 minutes. 7 each for Colby Jones and Adam Kunkel. 4 each off the bench from Desmond Claude and Cesar Edwards. And Edwards only played 3 minutes. And Xavier, they dominated the glass. 48-36 advantage there. And they also shot the ball better. 45.7% compared to 43.1% for the Johnnies. St. John's did make more threes and were more efficient from behind the arc. 8 of 18 compared to 6 of 15. But Xavier, not only did they get to the line more, 14 of 20. But St. John's, 16 free throws. They only made 9 of them. Free throws wins games, people. And Seton Hall, same thing. Got to the line a lot. Tuesday night, missed a lot of free throws, and granted, it wasn't the biggest difference maker, but think of how many more games and how much better in conference play they'd be if they did make their free throws. They might even probably be 2-1 and one right now compared to 0-3, but that's beside the point with Seton Hall. Talking about St. John's here. So anyways, for the Johnnies, 19 and 10 rebounds for David Jones, 7 of 17 from the field, 3 of 5. From behind the arc, 14 each for Joel Soriano and Montez Mathis. Soriano with eight rebounds and three block shots. Mathis, six of nine from the floor, two for four from behind the arc. 11 points for Pasha Alexander, but a tough shooting day. Five of 14 from the floor, one of four from behind the arc. And Andre Corbello, e even worse. Four points on two of nine shooting. Seven assists, though, but two rebounds, three turnovers. And the bench for St. John's wasn't half bad. 17 combined points. Six, all from behind the arc from Dylan today, Wusu. And, that, and that's not really his strong suit, three-point shooting. Four boards and three assists for him. Four each for Omar Stanley and A.J. Store, And then three points from Isaiah Naiwi. So St. John's down to one and two in the conference. Xavier now three and oh in the league. And they're one of three. Big East teams unbeaten in conference play right now. I've already talked about two of them. The other, and doing so in dominant fashion, Providence going to Butler to take on the Bulldogs at Hinkle. And Providence, you know, they started off, Butler started off well. You know, they were up 9-7 to seven at the first media timeout. It was either 9 
or close to the media timeouts, nine to seven. Providence only allowed nine points the rest of the half. And they scored 39 themselves. So in the final 15 and a half minutes, it was 39 to nine. And that 28 point cushion more than enough as Providence wins 72 52. By the way, I just thought it was comical that Butler fans were like, I think Providence called a timeout after Butler was going on a bit of a bit of a run, and the fans were like super fired. I'm like, yo, you're still down by 20. Like, relax. Like, if you cut it down to maybe like 15, maybe you want to be a little more rowdy. But like, if you're not, if you're still down 20 plus, just take a step back and relax. But Providence still a 20-point winner, 72-52. Devin Carter, a phenomenal night for the South Carolina transfer. 21 points on 9 of 16 shooting, 1 of 2 from behind the arc. Ed Croswell with a double-double, 15 points, 10 rebounds, 5 of 7 from the field, and for a notoriously bad free-throw shooter, he's 5 for 5 from the charity stripe. 11 points and 7 assists for Jared Bynum, 4 of 7 from the floor, and 1 of 3 from behind the arc. And Providence still won convincingly despite only six points and eight rebounds from the reigning Biggies player of the week, Bryce Hopkins. Seven points from Noah Locke, two of ten from the floor, though, one of six from behind the arc. And the bench, 12 total points, seven from Clifton Moore, eight rebounds. They got a three from Jaden Pierre and a bucket from Alan Breed. Providence, I mean, they dominated almost every facet of the game. 44-29 on the glass. Three-point shooting was a lot better. Four for 13 isn't all that sexy for Providence, but they hold Butler to two of 16 from behind the arc. 45% from the field, they hold Butler to just 35%. Leading scorer for Butler, well, two guys each had 12 points. That was Jalen Thomas and Manny Bates. Thomas with six rebounds, Bates with five, and uh, Thomas... Four for seven for the floor and knocked down his only three-point attempt very early in the game. Bates was six of seven, though. Uh, Chuck Harris, ten points, five boards, four assists, just three of 11 from the floor and 0 of four from behind the arc. Nine points off the bench from Ali Ali in 26 minutes. Four for 12 from the floor, one of six, though, from behind the arc. Five points in 21 minutes for Simas Lukosius. Two each for DJ Hughes and Jaden Taylor, and Taylor only got his points from the free throw line. And then Eric Hunter Jr. was held scoreless in 23 minutes. So Butler now 0-3 in the league. Providence on the converse, 3-0. Meanwhile, in the game that was dubbed the Sickos Committee Game of the Week by the people themselves on Twitter, DePaul hosting Georgetown. I mean, DePaul, they got off to a good start. Georgetown, you know, it was a back-and-forth thing where, you know, DePaul, they went up seven at the break, and ironically, it was the same exact score as the UConn game for Georgetown where they were down 47-40 at the break, and they clawed their way back and actually, you know, took the lead in the second half, albeit not as big as a seven-point lead like they got on UConn a week ago. But DePaul, they went on a big run where Georgetown... When DePaul went on their big run, Georgetown went in the went in, went into a drought at the worst possible time, and DePaul just made enough stretch, made enough plays down the stretch, including a logo three from Emoja Gibson, 
And the Hoyas go the entire calendar year of 2022 without winning a single Big East Conference game. Blue Demons, 83-76 winners. Umoja Gibson, 31 for the Oklahoma transfer. 8 of 12 from the floor, 5 of 8 from behind the arc. 4 boards and 5 assists. Javon Johnson with 21 points, 8 of 14 from the floor, and 5 for 7 from deep. Jalen Terry, pretty good all-around game. 14 points, 5 boards, and 5 assists. 5 of 7 from the floor, 1 of 3 from deep. 6 each for Eral Penn and Deshaun Nelson, the latter of which did it off the bench in 22 minutes, but not a great night. 3 of 12 from the floor. And Penn fouled out and was 3 of 5 from the field in 27 minutes. They got 3 points from Yorane in 21 minutes, just 1 of 5 from the floor. And then 2 points, all free throws off the bench in 15 minutes from Philmont Geberwitt. Both teams shot really well from the field. 48% for Georgetown, 45% for DePaul. And each team was even 50% from behind the arc. But if you're Georgetown, when you turn it over 18 times and only force 7 against a DePaul team that can be prone to turn turning it over, yeah, you're not going to win. And that this happens despite Georgetown out rebounding DePaul 44-27. 29 points to lead the way for Brandon Murray. 11 of 17 from the floor. A perfect 5 for 5 from behind the arc. 13 points, 16 rebounds. Double-double for Kudus Wahab. 8 points each from Jay Heath, who was injured, only playing 19 minutes in this game. And Primo Spears, when your top player isn't scoring, yeah, you're also going to lose too. 8 points. 4 of 11 from the floor, 3 rebounds, and he had 11 assists in this one. Everyone else on the Hoyas, not a single one. That is one of the most bizarre stat lines I've probably ever heard. Meanwhile, Bryson Mozone in 34 minutes scored 9 points and grabbed 7 rebounds, 4 of 9 from the floor, and 1 of 3 from behind the arc. Big reason why he had to play that many minutes? A cook a cook went down and only played 6 minutes. And then Wayne Bristol Jr. in 23 minutes off the bench uh, in Heath's place. 3 of 5 from the floor. 1 of 3 from behind the arc. 9 points and a couple rebounds. So DePaul, their first Big East win of the year. They are now 1-2 and two in the league. Georgetown, now along with Butler and Seton Hall, 0-3 in conference. So... That was what happened on the men's side. So shifting gears now over to Big East women's hoops with all five of the games I'm going to talk about happening on Wednesday. A couple of matinee games are on there. Uh, starting with Butler and Xavier. I really had confidence that Xavier was going to you know, shake off the rust. And shake off that the rough start, the rough stretch they've been on. But Butler, they were phenomenal in this game. They shot the ball really well. And Xavier, nowhere near that. So Butler, after going again. 0-18 in Big East play last year. 
including a first-round exit in the Big East Tournament against Seton Hall. Their first Big East win of this calendar year comes in their um, well second-to-last game in 2022 as Butler goes into Cintas and beats Xavier pretty convincingly, 79-65. They were up 12 at the end of the first quarter and pretty much coasted to victory. Four Bulldogs in double figures, 20 of which came from Rachel McLemore. Six of 16 from the floor, three for nine from behind the arc, three boards, seven assists. 14 from Shea Frederick, who was lights out from deep. Four made three-pointers on six attempts, four of seven for overall, six assists as well. 11 each from Caroline Strand and Tenley Dowell, who each really found their three-point stroke in this game after kind of going through a bit of a rough patch. Dowell with three three-pointers, Strand with two. Dowell with seven rebounds, Strand with six. And the bench was really good for Butler. 19 points for the bench, nine of which came from Kelsey Taylor, who played 25 minutes in this one. Four for five from the floor, seven rebounds. Eight points in nine minutes for Chloe Jeffers who, you know, she hasn't really seen the court a lot this year, but the freshman had, again, those eight points on three of five shooting, two for three from behind the arc, and then Kendall Wingler had two points in eight minutes. Meanwhile, for Xavier, oh, by the way, Cindy James with four points in 15 minutes, she did get herself into foul trouble. That's why Taylor was playing more minutes in the front court. Uh, For Xavier, 16 points for Michaela Scarlett. Just 3 of 13 from the field, 2 of 4 from behind the arc. A dozen for Taylor Smith in 29 minutes. 5 for 9 from the floor and 2 of 3 from deep. 10 off the bench from Anaya Harris in 23 minutes. 7 each from Kasia Woods and Shelby Calhoun. And uh, Calhoun getting the start in this game over Harris. And Calhoun had 9 rebounds and 3 assists to go with those 7 points in 29 minutes. Just 2 points on 1 of 8 shooting from Courtney Pranger. Four assists, though. Nyla Blackford was efficient. Three for three from the floor. And three for three from the free throw line. Nine points in 15 minutes. And then just two points in nine minutes from June Ruiz Asque. In her first actions since the middle of November. So, Xavier was just five for 11 from behind the arc. And Butler was... They made 14 three-pointers on 29 attempts. And the percentage number is better from behind the arc and better overall. 47% for Butler, 42% uh, for Xavier. Now, Seton Hall hosting Georgetown. The Pirates went up 9 at the at, at the end of 1. But Georgetown clawed their way back, got it down to 3, going into the locker room. And they also held Seton Hall to just eight second quarter points, 13 third quarter points. The middle quarters Georgetown owned a 33-23 advantage, now 33-21 advantage, to take a three-point lead into the fourth, 51-48, but Seton Hall woke up and... It was a 24-11 edge in the fourth for Seton Hall as they pull away for a 72-62 win. 
And you look at the run Seton Hall went on that turned the tide of this game. It was a 17-2 run that really flipped the script. Again, 72-62 the final. Lauren Park Lane with 23 points and 8 assists to lead the way for the Hall. 7 of 17 from the floor. 4 of 10 from behind the arc. Sydney Cook, 17 points. 8 of 13 from the floor. 1 of 5 from behind the arc. 6 rebounds as well. 9 points from Shaylin Pinckney, who really, at, despite being in a starter spot, really didn't log a lot of minutes, but she was really good in this game and deserved the minutes. 9 points, 7 rebounds, 4 of 6 from the floor, and 1 of 2 from behind the arc. Shea Hagens with 7 points and 3 dimes, 2 of 8 from the floor, 1 of 5 from deep. 6 each for Maya Bembry and Kay Satterfield, each of them with 8 rebounds. Uh, 4 points for Jayla Jordan in 12 minutes off the bench. And Seton Hall, 41-34 edge on the glass. And they shot it overall much better from the field than Georgetown did. I mean... 7 of 16 from 3 for Georgetown definitely showed some promise. But inside the arc, they were just 17 of 50. That's 34%. Meanwhile, Seton Hall was 7 of 24 from behind the arc, but inside of it, 21 of 41. That's over 50% to finish. Just a little under 50% overall from the field. Leading the way for the Hoyas, Ariel Jenkins Back home in the Garden State with 18 points and 7 rebounds. 8 of 13 from the floor. 1 of 2 from deep. 11 for Jada Claude. 10 points for Kennedy Fauntleroy. 8 points, 6 boards, 5 assists for Kelsey Ransom. 7 for Christina Moore. 6 off the bench for Brianna Scott, all from behind the arc. Two points in 15 minutes on a rough one of eight shooting for Grace Ann Bennett. And Seton Hall now up to three and one in the conference. Georgetown falls to one and three. Providence and DePaul, the Blue Demons, I mean, they really dominated the first half, leading 46 to 24. But Providence roared back. Big third quarter, whereas DePaul, they went on a dry spell. And all of a sudden, DePaul saw this big lead cut down to six going into the fourth. But the Blue Demons do enough to win this game, 78-69. And another double-double, monster night for Anissa Morrow. 29 points and 18 rebounds, 13 of 31 from the floor, and 2 of 4 from behind the arc. And Darion Rodgers... Really becoming the Robin to Morrow's Batman. 24 points, 5 assists, 5 of 17 from the floor, 2 of 9 from deep. I mean, the shooting numbers aren't great, but her ability to get to the line is a huge X factor. She was 12 of 14 from the charity stripe. 9 points for Kendall Holmes. 7 for Anaya Peoples, who was perfect from the floor, 3 of 3. And knocked down her only 3 points after the game. Jory Allen with 4 points and 7 rebounds on 1 of 4 shooting. And then Zaria Hurston, the freshman in 21 minutes, contributed 5 points and 7 rebounds. 2 of 5 from the floor and 1 of 2 from behind the arc. Providence shot the ball better. Much better. 10 three-pointers compared to DePaul's 7. 
and they were 45.5% from behind the arc. But DePaul got to the line more. 19 free throws compared to, to uh, Providence's 11, and not to mention DePaul was 17 of 19 from the free throw line. Leading the way for the Friars, 21 for Bryn Farrell. She did foul out, but had 7 of 13 from the field and 5 of 8 from deep. Olivia Olsen, 11 points and 8 rebounds on 5 of 10 shooting. How about Megan Herter, 15 points all from behind the arc in just 12 minutes off the bench. 6 points, 7 boards, 5 assists from Janae Crooms, but just 2 of 9 from the floor. Three different players with four points each, which were Kylie Shepard, Grace Afosa, and Naraya Scott. Shepard just two of ten from the field, six boards, seven assists. Afosa in 19 minutes fouled out, three boards and three assists. And Scott in 14 minutes, two of five from the field, and then two points each for Logan Cook and Audrey Koch. So the Blue Demons, they're 3-0 in conference. A quiet 3-0 in the league. With that win, Providence, they fall to 0-4 in the league. Now in a game that I felt relatively confident picking, I picked Villanova to win at Marquette. I thought it was a toss up, but I went with Nova and it was a great, tremendous back and forth game where neither team held the lead of double digits at any point. Villanova's biggest lead was nine. Marquette's biggest lead was six. And it was it was a tremendous back and forth game as a as I think anyone would expect. And Villanova they hold on in a rock fight, a classic low scoring slugfest, fifty four fifty two with Maddie Segris scoring twenty one points and grabbing eleven rebounds, eight of twenty from the floor, thirteen from Lucy Olson on five of thirteen shooting and three of four from behind the arc. The big thing I was looking for. That third scoring option for Villanova stepping up. And the player who did step up, Maddie Burke. 12 points, 3 of 9 from deep. And 3 of 3 from from the charity stripe. So those three players, 46 combined points, just 8 points from the rest of the team. 3 each from Christina Dalsey and Brooke Mullen. And then 2 points in 16 minutes off the bench from Bella Runyon. For Marquette. 23 points, 11 boards to lead the way for Jordan King. 9 of 19 from the floor, knocked down her only three-point attempt of the game. 10 points, 9 boards from Chloe Murata in 23 minutes. Just 19 points from the rest of the team, though. Emily LaChapelle had 7 points in 35 minutes off the bench. Taking the minutes that, you know, Nia Clark had... uh, as the starter, she, Clark only played 11 minutes with two points. Uh, again, LaChapelle with seven on three of six shooting, one of three from behind the arc. Six points for Rosen Kumu in 34 minutes. And then just two points each for Liza Carlin and Kennedy Miles. Carlin, though, I mean, just a rough night for the junior. One of 13 from the field. So Villanova. That's a big win for the Cats as they improved to 2-1 in the league. Marquette falls to an even 500 in the league at 2-2. And And then in a game that, did I expect UConn to win? Sure. But did I expect them to be this dominant despite not having Amari DeBerry who was still snowed in in Buffalo and not having Aubrey Griffin who's out with COVID? 
Probably not. And they still don't have easy FUD, mind you. But UConn dominates Creighton in Omaha, 72-47. I mean, do, dare I even tell you about the areas in which they dominated? 59-27 on the glass. They hold Creighton to right around only 24% from the field and just 3 of 28 from behind the arc. While shooting themselves 44%. I mean, and they only needed two three-pointers to win this game convincingly. 23 points, 20 rebounds for Aaliyah Edwards. 8 of 12 from the field also. Oh, and you think that's the only impressive post-performance for UConn? Dorga Juhas had 22 points and 18 rebounds. 9 of 15 from the floor for the native of Hungary. 11 points for Caroline Ducharme. 8 rebounds. 5 of 14 from the floor. 1 of 4 from behind the arc. Lou Lopez sent a child. 10 points on 4 of 12 shooting. And then the only other 3 for UConn came courtesy of Nika Mule, who is also like Ducharme. 1 of 4 from behind the arc. 2 for 6 overall. 5 boards. 8 assists. And they got all 72 points from their starters. Ayanna Patterson, Enos Betancourt did not score. Leading the way for Creighton with just 12 points, Emma Ronsick, but for just 3 of 13 from the field. 11 points for Lauren Jensen, who was 4 for 11 from the floor and 1 of 7 from behind the arc. The bench stepped up. I mean, Carly Bachelor with 8 points in 20 minutes. 6 points for... Kiani Lockett, who only, you know, I mean, she really hasn't seen the court a lot this year. This is her first game logging double-digit minutes. Six points and a couple rebounds in 13 minutes. I mean, Mallory Brake only had a free throw in 14 minutes off the pine. And then uh, Kennedy Townsend, I didn't mean pine in a, like, Bad sense, by the way, because the bench also opined because bench is made of wood. So Kennedy Townsend knocked down a three in 16 minutes. And then the other starters, I mean, Rachel Saunders only had three points, just two points for Morgan Molly on one of 12 shooting. And then Molly Mogensen only had a free throw and was 0 of 8 from the field and 0 of 5 from behind the arc. So yeah, Creighton, their slide has continued ahead of their nationally televised game Saturday against DePaul. Uh, again, they've lost four of their last five after a 7-0 and start. Let's segue now into my New Year's Eve and New Year's Day picks. So, where do we begin? Well, let's start on the men's side with arguably... The most must-see game of this early portion of the schedule. And these are arguably the top two teams going at it. Number two, UConn. Number 22, Xavier at Centos. High noon on Fox. I mean, this is going to have a big game feel to it. And I know Xavier fans are going to wake up for this. I feel like these two teams really play you know, tooth and nail with each other. I mean, they've been really 
you know, they played really equally the last couple of years with Xavier beating UConn at Cintas a year ago. So, it, do I think UConn showed some signs of vulnerability against Villanova and even against Georgetown? Sure. But Xavier, if there's anything uh, that they need to learn how to do, um, considering they almost blew it against St. John's, they definitely got to learn how to close better. So, here's the way I'm seeing this matchup. Xavier loves getting up and down the floor. To an extent, so does UConn. And UConn's bigs, in terms of the matchup of bigs that will challenge them the most this season, it's going to be Xavier with Fremantle, Nunji, and even Hunter off the bench. And Jerome Hunter's come alive. But I think UConn, they're just in the right place at the right time. They've got a groove going. And I think beating Villanova by only eight will set him straight, you know, get him to recalibrate and bounce back and be better despite the winning effort. And I'm... You know, trust me. Was I tempted to pick Xavier? You bet your ass I was. And it's crazy. You know, I saw a tweet from someone I follow. Um, I don't want to shout him out because I don't want him to think I'm calling him out or anything, but... So I saw this tweet from a UConn fan that said, am I the only one that wants to, that would, pref- I, I'm paraphrasing here, like, because I think what he really meant was that would prefer losing to Xavier for our first loss of the year versus the next game after this, which is at their longtime ne- nemesis and New England rival Providence. I, I get the sentiment. I really do. But, and, you know, hey, the way I see it, try to see the glass half full and instead of half empty. If, instead of worrying about who you're going to lose to, worry about who you're going to beat moving forward. And I think UConn will improve to 15-0 and and beat Xavier in a close game at Cintas. Also at 12 o'clock, over on FS1, in a game Seton Hall knows they need to have. Hosting St. John's at the Rock. I swear to God, Seed Hall in St. John's in Newark seems to be a perennial matchup on New Year's Eve every few years. They met on New Year's Eve in 2014, which Seed Hall won by 11. Three years later, they met again on New Year's Eve in Newark. Seed Hall won by five. But... Given how poorly Seton Hall's played, and I don't know, they really they got to figure it out and figure out in a hurry because the last thing you want, given your upcoming slate, you don't want to fall to 0-4 in conference because after this, well, granted, you're going to have, you know, some leeway because, you know, you go to Creighton Tuesday night and then your next three games after that, Relatively light. Actually, probably the easiest stretch of the schedule they have where they'll host Butler 
They'll visit Georgetown, and then they hope visit DePaul after that. So, you really want to win this game. Because if you're 1-3 and three in the league, sure, you lose to Creighton to fall to 1-4. and four, But if you string together three straight wins, you're back at 500 in conference. My heart, obviously, is a Hall alum. My heart wants Seton Hall to win. It really does. But my brain is telling me St. John's. So, and and so here's the thing, okay? I'm not superstitious, but I am a little superstitious. I've probably said that on this show a million times, right? Right now, my biggest conference game predictions over on the men's side. I'm 15 of 16. And you know what my only incorrect pick was? And by the way, I'm on a 12-game win streak. My only incorrect pick, Providence, Seton Hall. And I picked Seton Hall. You know, fool me once, shame on, shame on you. Fool me twice. Shame on me. And I, and I hate the fact that I have to say this about my alma mater. But I'm picking St. John's here. Second game of the FS1 doubleheader that day. Marquette at Villanova at the Finn. Nova really, really wants revenge in this game. Because it's been well documented. How dominant Villanova has been at the Finn since realignment. They won their first 21 conference games after realignment before losing to Butler in 2017. They then won their next 21 in a row and had that streak come to an end at the hands of Marquette last season. Villanova, they want payback and I think they'll get it. It's going to be a close game, but I got the goal. I got the I got the Wildcats winning this one. And you know what? I wouldn't be shocked if they end up blowing them out. Now on New Year's Day, Providence at DePaul at Wintrust at two thirty on FS1. The Friars have won three in a row at Wintrust, and all time in that building, they have won four of five. I know DePaul's looking better after, and anytime you. Get a Big East win, no matter who it's against. That's a confidence booster. So DePaul will have some extra juice and confidence going into this game, but Providence, they figured it out. After a really rough start to the season, you know, their last loss was November 30th at TCU. And they're on a six-game win streak. And as Lee Corso would say, you know, make it so-and-so, make it seven. Providence wins at DePaul. Now, 6.30, Butler, Georgetown. As I mentioned earlier, the Hoyas didn't win a single Big East game in the entire calendar year of 2022. And now Butler comes to town. 
And the way it's both of these teams are winless in conference. So somebody is going to get their first win of conference play in this game. Both teams at 0-3. But Butler, they've gotten blown out in each of their first three conference games. They're av- they've lost by a combined 64 points. 64. That in each th- all three of their losses have been by at least 20 points. That loss to Providence I was talking about earlier, that was their smallest margin of defeat in conference play. You know, call me crazy because I know how Georgetown fans and I see them on Twitter, how much they're just giving up and wanting change and demanding it. Like, essentially along the lines of saying, I refuse to support this team until there are drastic changes made, primarily at the head coach spot. So, and it's crazy how much even just one victory can change people's minds just that little bit. And given how they went the entire calendar year of 2022 without winning a single Big East Conference game. If you really want to have a New Year's resolution, if you're Georgetown, win a conference game. And I think on day one, call me crazy, but they make that resolution come true. Give me Georgetown. Yeah, that's right. You heard it here first. I'm making my call now. Call my shot now. Georgetown over Butler to win their first Big East Conference game since the Big East title game in March of 2021. Over on the women's side, at 12 noon, St. John's, number 25 in the country, visiting Georgetown. I think St. John's, they just... I I just don't think they're... I think if they are going to lose a game in conference, you know, suffer their first loss, they're going to lose it to a team that's really good. And this is not a knock on Georgetown. They are, to me, vastly improved. And they have, they've been more competitive. You know, despite, I mean, they're 1-3 in conference right now, but I mean... Yes, they have a win over Xavier, but even against, I mean, Marquette, they got blown out. But the last two conference games they played against DePaul and Seton Hall, both on the road, they've been competitive. And for St. John's, this is only their second true road game of the year, all in conference play. But I'm trusting the Johnnies here, even after a 10-day layoff, I'm going to take the Johnnies winning at McDonough Arena. 2 o'clock over on SNY. Number 8, UConn hosting Marquette. I mean, Marquette has really, really struggled as of late. You know, looking at where they are, I mean, they started off 5-0. and But now, here they are. No, 4-4 four and four in their last 8. And they've lost three of their last five, including, you know, two of which at home. And which they got blown out by Colorado, and they, then they lose a tough one to Villanova. And this is the last thing you want. You got to go to Gamble to play UConn. Yeah, UConn's going to win big. And, I mean, I'm 
extra convinced because of the fact that, you know, UConn was playing this well at Creighton despite not having Aubrey Griffin, still not having AC Fudd. If they're this dominant now, imagine what happens when AZ comes back. Oh my goodness. You could be pushing to be the best team in the country at that rate. Now, 4 o'clock at Walsh Gym, Seton Hall hosting Butler. You know, Butler riding the high of their first Big East win in nearly two years. And Seton Hall still looking really good. They're 3-1 and one in the league, 10-4 and four overall. Uh, I'm going to take the Pirates beating the Bulldogs. Um, I, I, I truly believe Butler's going to find a way to stay competitive in this one. But Seton Hall is going to pull away, kind of like they did against Georgetown, but I don't think they're going to allow themselves to get into a position where they're down heading into the fourth quarter. Now, on Fox, the number 21 team in the country, Creighton, visiting DePaul. Quietly, DePaul's 3-0 in the Big East. Granted, against weaker competition, but 3-0 in conference is 3-0. Meanwhile, Creighton has slid to 2-2 two two in the league. I, I mean, and momentum is important. If you're playing really well, you tend to ride that wave out for longer. And the thing is, I mean, Creighton, again, they've lost 4-5 after a 7-0 start. And their only win, I mean, they barely beat, granted, a, a solid Drake team, but... A Drake team that, given how they were playing, they should have blown them out. And granted, all four of their losses have come against really good competition. You know, St. John's, who's still undefeated. Arkansas, who only suffered their first loss. Actually, no, they've actually lost three in a row after beating Creighton, strangely enough. Stanford's the number two team in the country. They lost at in Palo Alto to them, and then... You know, UConn's still a an elite team, a Final Four caliber team, and I think they will end up going to the Final Four when all is said and done. Creighton, I think they, they know they desperately need this one. But DePaul's been playing better after a couple bad losses early in the year. They've They've seemed to figure it out, really three bad losses in November, and so far December in which they've only lost once, and against a really good Louisville team. I'm going to go out on a whim here, and I'm going to pick DePaul, beating Creighton at Wintrust. Now, on Sunday, 12 noon on CBS Sports Network, Villanova Xavier, I mean, I don't think I really need that deep of a dive into this matchup. Villanova is going to beat Xavier, and I think it's going to be pretty easily. Uh, and I don't want to, I don't want this to come off bad, but but the start Xavier got off on, especially you know, even though they lost to Creighton in their Big East opener Black Friday, they were competitive against a team that was in the top twenty. So that gave me hope and optimism for them. Like, hey. Maybe they're actually much better than we thought. But they've lost six of their last eight. They're still winless in the league. And they're going up against 
the best player in the conference in Maddie Segrist. It's just going to be a recipe for disaster. And I hate to say that, but like that's just the fact of the matter. You know, they struggled against Butler. Imagine what Villanova might do to them. Like, uh-oh. Yeah, Villanova uh, starts rings in the new year. And that's actually the first official Big East women's conference game of 2023. And Villanova rings in that new year by winning handily in the Queen City. So, that's going to finally do it for this episode of the Igloo. Thanks for tuning in. Happy New Year. And, you know, I know I'm hoping for a great 2023. 2022 treated me well, but I obviously got even bit higher hopes for 2023. And I hope all of you do too. Happy New Year. Catch you next time. And I'll see y'all in 2023 when the Igloo returns. So enjoy the weekend. Enjoy ringing in the new year with your friends, your family, your loved ones, whoever you may be celebrating it with. And I hope you all had a great 2022. If you felt like 2022 wasn't really your friend, that's okay. Because 2023, a new year, it's a new chapter and something to turn the page and look forward to. And, you know, if you had a bad 2022, like I said, or not so, not so, if 2022 wasn't so great for you, that's okay. I don't know who was the originator of this phrase, but it's just a minor setback for a major comeback. So, again, happy new year to everyone out in, out in the Big East, in Big East Twitter. I mean, obviously, I've come to love all of you so much. Even some of you that probably may annoy the hell out of me at times or just saying just some nonsense or whatever. But at the end of the day, listen, there's no community like Biggie's Twitter. And over the past year, you know, I've made a lot of friends with you guys, you know, from really all all 11 fan bases. And I just want all of you listening to know that I genuinely appreciate Love and appreciate every single one of you. And you just continue to show why the Big East Twitter community is the best out of any conference in all of college basketball. And why it makes me just that much more proud to cover this league on this show now in Season 4. So, Happy New Year, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Catch you all in 2023.